Lord at least knew on that day that I didn't have a quiet voice. Uh, so it was a good thing. I hope you have had a good week. Um, and I know that for some of us, there can be fractions of the week that don't turn out how they're meant to. But I hope that at some point in time, you've actually been blessed by God during the week. If not, personally, how good has the rain been? It's been an absolute wonderful blessing. Uh, there's been a couple of occasions, Cara and I have gone to bed, left, left the screen door shut, so we could actually hear the rain on, on the roof of our house. It was beautiful. Well, we're counting down. T minus one more Sabbath, and we actually get to live in Burfingurry. Yeah, we can't wait. It's on the end of T minus one, because next week's church camp, but it's the Friday after that. Uh, so, uh, don't know how we got a Friday move, because we're going to still stay in our house that weekend, uh, like camping style. But then come Sunday, Peter, our Vietnamese uh, removalist, is going to be there to, to live our stuff. So, if anyone's got a Sunday free... You're welcome to come and join us. It should be lots of fun. Uh, before we begin today, let's pray. And I want to share I want to share a message to me that's really on my heart. And it's about our Savior, Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, uh, I pray that you can just take whatever distractions there are in our minds, in front of us, actually even next to us, and uh, help us to zone in now. And I pray that the words that are spoken are yours. Amen. It's like a, it's like a history story, but... Uh, the reality is, I just want to say a huge thank you. You were very kind last week at church. I noticed there weren't too many people that went to sleep. I also noticed that uh, a few of you came up and said thank you, so I appreciate that. Very supportive. But today, I want to speak about the second part of the I am. And when we're looking for our identity, and our identity can only be found in my, in my humble opinion, our identity can only be found in God. If we try to put our identity in anyone else or in anything else, uh, it's going to let you down. They're going to let you down. It will let you down. In 2008, we've moved on a little bit from last week's talk. In 2008, I was doing what, I'm not sure all blokes do this, but this is something that I really enjoy doing. Sunday afternoon, 4 o'clock to 6 o'clock, it's not quite sacred time, but it's Sean time. And in our house, we, had, we have two tellies, uh, one in the lounge room and one in the main room. Now, the lounge room is set aside, sorry, the, the bedroom is set aside for me, um, depending if I'm doing the ironing. If I do the ironing, Cara lets me use the lounge room. Uh, if I'm not doing the ironing, then I go to the bedroom. And at four o'clock, the footy kicks off. I'm talking AFL or soccer. I'm talking the real footy. Rugby league. And at, four, and at four o'clock, I would sit there. And I have to tell you, that day was not an exciting day. It wasn't St. George playing anyone. It was like it was like the West Tigers playing South or something. Like, I wasn't even really interested too much. But I was sitting there because that's what I did on a Sunday afternoon. So I'd been motivated. I was laying on the bed, had the footy on, and things were feeling good. And as I was there... Um, my mind started to, to think about stuff because I'd been working, I'd, I'd, as I said to you last week, I took time out of ministry and in that time out of ministry, I went to QT and did marketing and advertising and uh, when I finished, I started working and the global financial crisis hit about 2008 and uh, the people that they laid off were people who had marketing and advertising degrees 
and lots of other people too. And uh, so I found myself struggling to get work. And I thought to myself, you know, I really like people. Um, I think I'll do what some pastors do when they take time out of ministry. I think I'll become a policeman. Now, there's nothing wrong with being a policeman. It's a great career. In fact, uh, today, um, I could have been a policeman. But the reality was, I was, I'd contemplated it for over 12 months. I'd actually been to the academy twice to go through all of the testing. And it came time that I was waiting for the letter in the mail. And I was sort of like, you know, it's like old school in the police force. You wait for them to invite you. And as I was waiting, I was contemplating. And I was starting to feel quite uneasy within myself, trying to say, look, Cara's out there working her little backside off. And she'd been working super-duper hard as a nurse. We were raising our kids who at that stage were in primary school. And I thought to myself, Sean, no more three and four different types of jobs a week. It's time to get a real job. And uh, so I'd applied for the last time for the police force. Went through all of the testing and it ticked all the boxes and was just waiting for when the start date was. And I was sitting sitting there that afternoon wrestling, not really enjoying that footy game, but I was sitting there wrestling with myself and, um, and it was incredible because when God wants to take over your life, he'll wrestle with you. It's not just a tap on the shoulder. Sometimes for we stubborn people, it, he'll get in there and wrestle. And I was feeling this wrestle for a long period of time. You know, when you've got open women in your life, now let me explain that. When you've got women who t- talk truth into your life, Now, how many men here know what it's like to have a mum or a sister or a wife or perhaps even a daughter speak truth into your life? Put your hand up. In other words, they tell you the stuff you don't like, like you're fat. Um, (laughs) Yeah, lots of stuff. They just tell it how it is and you're like, oof, that's that's tough. Well, Cara and my mum had speaking words into my life for about 12 months. Like, why are you wasting your time, Sean? You know, I know marketing, you enjoy it, blah, blah, blah. But why are you wasting your time? God wants you to be a pastor. And I'd be like, that is the last thing that I want to hear. True story, Cara. Uh, I try not to cut Cara down in that area because then she gets cranky and things don't go well in the house. So, so, but I'd hear this stuff and it irritated my ears. That Cara and my mum were speaking these words into my head. Words of truth. And that afternoon, I was sitting there watching the footy, wrestling with the identity of, God, where do you want me to be? I've applied for the police. In fact, I'm waiting for the letter to come from the police to where do you want me to be? And I want to tell you in front of you guys today, I gave up. I didn't give up on ministry. I gave up on the fight against God. And I said to God, what do you want from me? What do you want for my life? Where do you want me to be? And I want to tell you that church today, I want to challenge you with the same thing. If you have felt the calling from God, that God wants you to be where you are right now, praise God. Whatever career it is, praise God. But if he's still nattering at you and wrestling with you, you need to get in the wrestle. Find out where God wants you to be in your life. Well, I sort of gave up on wrestling God. I called Cara into our bedroom, and uh, I did turn the telly off. Another wise thing to learn, men. Turned it off because I needed to have a chat with her. I sat her on the bed, and I began to share. 
today, I want to share something with you that is way more important than whether Sean became a police officer or a minister. I want to tell you about the person who gives you focus, who allows you to zone in. And I want to tell you that person is Jesus Christ. God the Father, remember last week, we talked about the fact He gives us stability, gives us direction. He's the one that wants to recreate our lives when they've been shattered or broken. That's our God. He is so stable. When it comes to His Son, Jesus Christ, He wants to do something powerful and precious and special in our lives. And His mission is simple. It's so simple, a bloke like me could understand it, I guess. It's so simple, people like you could get it as well. I also want to explore the fact that our Jesus Christ, when he sacrificed on the cross, he demonstrates an an incredible amount of love for you and me. And the last thing, I'm only going to touch on the third point very briefly, but it's important that we serve a risen Savior. And they are the three points that I'd like to look at this morning. Jesus' mission is simple. Step one. Now, there's an excellent passage found in Mark chapter 2 and verses 13 to 17. And we pick up how one of the disciples actually became a follower of Jesus. Let's read the story. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Jesus turned straight to him and he says, follow me. And Levi got up and followed him. Verse 15. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for they were many who followed him. Verse 16. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked the disciples this question. Now, you can read it up there. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? That's what, he asked, that's what they asked the disciples. Jesus overhears this in the next verse, and he just cuts to the chase, says, Disciples, this is above your pay grade. Let me answer this one. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, verse 17, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but who? The sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but I have come to call who? I've come to call the sinners. Jesus knows the condition of mankind. Last week, for those of us who were here, we, I spoke very directly about Romans 6.23, which says the wages of sin is death. That's our human condition. Sin, because of our own choices, has given us the ultimate of horribleness, and that is death. But the reality is the gift that God wants to give us is not a gift, as we spoke about last week, that I can offer you. It's a gift that God offers us. The gift of God is eternal life through who? Help me out. Through who? Jesus Christ, our Lord. I love stories. And one of my favorite stories in the scripture For some of you who've been perhaps on that church journey, that Christian walk, you've probably heard this story a few times. For some of you who may be perhaps new 
to learning about the scriptures, and, and maybe you don't know the stories very well, I want to tell you a story today which talks about and demonstrates the simplicity of Jesus Christ's message for you and me. I love this story. It's found in John 8, verses 1 to 11. The story goes, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, and all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers gathered around him, and he said, oh, sorry, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group, and they said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery. The law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? The story doesn't end there, but the story that I wanted to share with you this morning is this story, because it teaches us about our Savior, Jesus, and it teaches us how wide and how broad and how incredible our Jesus will do anything for you or I. doesn't matter what stage of sin we're at, Jesus will go to that length for you and for me. In verse 2, the people gathered around him. They gathered around Jesus because he had something to share. This is an important point that we need to take on board when we think about Jesus. He wasn't just someone that had nothing to share, or perhaps he had the best PowerPoint presentation or the sharpest looking church or the best air conditioners. Uh, No, it didn't have anything to do with that. The difference with our Jesus is that he had something that was worthy to share, which meant for you, for me, generations, hundreds and thousands of years post-Jesus Christ, this message is still relevant to us today. So Jesus had something worthy to share. The other thing about Jesus is that he was different. Jesus demonstrated that he was the real deal and that he was all about his mission to care for the sick and the sinners. Remember the passage we read just previously about Levi, who came to be a disciple? Jesus shared his mission with sinners, and his mission was simple. He did not come for the sick. Sorry, he didn't come for those that are well, but he came for the sick. There's no need for Jesus to come for the righteous. He came for the sinner. This story picks this up again beautifully because this story is all about sinful people. Because the woman who was brought before Jesus was caught in the act of adultery. I don't know about you or me, but when I read that part of the story, I don't like it. I squirm a little bit. I'm not comfortable that it's even in the Bible. I think to myself, that's a bit gross. It's also super duper shameful. It's also something that none of us would want to be caught in the act of adultery. It's a horrible part of the story. But it's part of this woman's story. This woman is brought by the religious leaders of the day and thrown in front of Jesus. She was caught in the act of adultery. She's an extremely sinful person. The Pharisees who saw themselves a bit of a step, a cut above everyone else, thought to themselves, well, Jesus is only associating with sinners and tax collectors. So what better place to throw this sinful woman in front of sinners? And they throw this poor woman in front of Jesus. And I'm imagining in this, that I picture in this story, that she would have been overwhelmed and just horrified 
about what had happened to her on that morning. Head wouldn't have come up. Tears would have been flowing. She would have been trying to cover herself up and protect herself. But who were these men? Who were these men? They'd come to trick Jesus. They didn't worry that, it, that this woman would be abused, and they'd abused her. They didn't worry that she would lose her dignity, and they didn't even worry if Jesus said, well, let's pick up some rocks and stone her. But the verse that we stopped at, we need to understand that, that the religious leaders had done this to trick Jesus. When someone tries to trick you or me, I don't like it. I don't know about you, I don't like being tricked. Sometimes it's fun and funny. But when, it, when it's actually in the seriousness of life and someone tries to trick you up, trip you up, I don't know about you, but I don't like that sort of stuff. But the difference between that woman and myself is that I would stand up and say, hey, leave me alone. She had no one to protect her. So the trick, they throw Jesus, this woman. The Bible, Moses decreed it. What you say we should do, the Bible says we should stone her, and the Bible says that. But in verse 5, they share that truth, but it was a trap. How would Jesus respond? How does Jesus respond to sin? This is a really, really good part of the story because verse 6 picks it up. But then Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Now, I want you just to put your brains on just for a minute. Some of you will know some stories, some of you won't. But are there any other times in the scripture where you see God use his finger to write? There's some powerful ones. Ten Commandments times two. God had to do that twice. Can you remember another time in front of a king? This is one of the few occasions in Scripture where Jesus bends down and writes in the sand. When they kept on questioning in verse 7, he straightened up and he said to them, Let anyone who is first, who is without sin, be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and he wrote in the sand. And if there was 10 or 15 or 20, I don't know how many of these religious leaders had come to trick Jesus. But each time Jesus rode in the sand and he stood up with a straight back and he asked them that same question, any of you without sin, let you throw the first stone. And the Bible tells us one by one, these guys left. From the oldest through to the youngest, the most zealous. The simple message of Jesus is this. To the accusers of the sin, you and I, sinful people, Jesus says, I forgive you. But it's not just left with, I forgive you. It's also left with the challenge, go and sin no more. At this point, each one of those men Jesus has written in the sand. And each one of those men has put down their rock and left. Now, in front of the crowd, there is only one woman that Jesus cares for. 
And as the woman had been thrown down in front of him. Jesus wants to reclaim her place. Jesus wants to reclaim her identity. Jesus wants her to know that she's valuable, that she's no longer considered to be any more sinful than anyone else who'd been in that place that day, whether the crowd, whether the religious leaders, or whether her, the woman caught in adultery. She will live. The abusers have left. She is now in a safe place. Jesus is interested in restoring her pride in her own humanity. Verse 10, Jesus straightened up and he asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Verse 11, the woman for the first time regains her voice. This is significant and this is powerful. Because sin chokes you, sin pushes you down, sin makes you feel from time to time that you're worthless and that you're not valuable. And throughout that entire picture is the complete polar opposite to what Jesus wants for your life. Neither do I condemn you. Jesus declares, go now and leave your life in sin. Jesus' mission today is as relevant as it was back then. It's as simple as it was when Jesus walked on this earth. And Jesus' mission is all about restoring you to the identity, you to the character that Jesus blessed from the beginning of time. For me, my name's Sean. That's what God wants to restore. He wants me to be the best Sean that I can be. And he wants you to be the best person that you can be. The second part of Jesus that I've, I'm really keen to share is his incredible sacrifice. Jesus lived in a way that's different to the way sometimes we live. In his human life, he was all about sacrifice. The whole life that he lived on this earth was about sacrifice. And his is the life that has been exalted in the perfect pattern for you and I to follow. In the terms of Jesus' sacrifice, we could think to ourselves, he came from heaven to earth. Now, I want to tell you that during the time of Paul, he preached a sermon once on Mars Hill. And he was up there and he thought to himself, how do I speak to the philosophers, the religious leaders? And he gets up onto Mars Hill and he preaches about the unknown God. If anyone wants to nod, that means at least you know something about that story, cool. Uh, to the unknown God. When he gets up there and he speaks about the unknown God, he is talking about the God that we serve. And he's talking about a God who would send his own son way up from heaven, and I'm not sure how far heaven is away, way up from heaven, and send him into a woman's womb, and then Jesus would be born like you and I. Jesus would grow up like you and I. He had a dad who was a carpenter, so he learned a trade. But by the time he was 12, we know that Jesus had been taken with his parents into Jerusalem, 
And after a three-day journey, mum and dad discovered that Jesus is not around. Where is he? Um, it's like a big camp on steroids by the sounds. of Some of us struggle to find our kids there. And the reality was they didn't know where he was. After three days, they go and find him. And when they find him, he's there preaching and teaching the religious leaders. I want to tell you this, that from his birth to age 12, his mum and dad and his heavenly father were instilling in Jesus something different, something different about Jesus. He knew that from the beginning of time that his life would be about sacrifice. His crucifixion was indeed the greatest act of sacrifice that could be made from a human being. If we go back to Mars Hill, Paul, when he was preaching about this unknown God, preaches about this son who came, as I said, from his father in heaven, mother's womb, grows up, trade, carpenter, and then at age 30, gets into ministry, but three and a half years into ministry, about a thousand days, his ministry is finished, and we, we probably know the story of our Savior Jesus dying on the cross. Horrific, terrible, horrendous, unfair, not right, but he did it because he had you and me on his mind. When Paul shared that message with the philosophers on Mars Hill, the words that they used in the Greek, your God must be crazy. Another, another interpretation is your God must be an idiot. Probably more correct interpretation. Because how could a God want to leave his throne and come down to become a human being? And not only a human being, a human being willing to die for human beings. It just doesn't make logical sense. That's what the Greeks believed. Because the Greeks believed that your goal in life should actually be in the betterment of yourself to the point that you will actually become over a number of lives that you will actually become, sorry ladies, you might become a fish and then a man. And then after you become a man, perhaps after you've been a good man for a number of lives, you could become a God of a star. And then you would become the God of a planet. So this idea of the unknown God that Paul preached on Mars Hill was mind-blowing for these philosophers because it was the complete opposite. Why would a God come into human flesh and die for human beings? I want to tell you that the reason that our God did that, it is crazy love. It's idiotic in relation to being rational. But I want to tell you that our God will stoop down that far because our Jesus loves us that much. It's unimaginable love. John 15 and verse 13, one of my favorite stories in the Bible about mateship. It says, greater love has no one than this, than they would lay down their life for one's friends. I want to tell you that Jesus wants to be our friend. Jesus actually considers us to be his friends. But the invitation has to be accepted. And when we accept that invitation of his friendship, the incredibleness of our God, the unmanageable love of our God is that he, as a friend, would be willing to die for you and for me. 
as we get older, we start to go to crazy things called funerals. And you think to you, Sharon, and your family, and to the Tams family, who are good friends with the lady that we're burying, uh, on Monday. And last year, I went to my one of my best mates' funerals, playing cricket. Uh, what a way to go. Playing cricket. He had only got one run, so at least he got off the mark, collapsed and passed away on the cricket field. Um, that was a tough thing to go to one of your best mates' funerals. But you know what? As much as I love Rod, my love is so small compared to the love that Jesus has for Rod and that Jesus has for you and for me. Because greater love is no one than this, than they would lay down their life for a friend. Our Savior was predicted. Jesus was predicted. The Messiah is one of the greatest, uh, one of the greatest themes that runs through all the Old Testament. There are over 300 prophecies, believe it or not, in the Old Testament that are directly related to Jesus. Now, if 10 of those were to come through, statistically, that would be so irrational that you could put zeros all the way across from here to Perth. But for over 300 of them to come true, which they have, is astronomical when it comes to the probability of that taking place. I want to assure that you and me, that our suffering Savior Jesus is that probable. Our suffering Savior Jesus was around when the writers were talking about the promised Messiah. Our suffering Jesus knew what it was like to live on planet Earth for 33 and a half years and endure the most horrific of pain. Our Savior Jesus cried for those who had been lost. He wept. And our Savior Jesus, when he died on that cross, he knew what the sacrifice was for. It wasn't to keep his dad happy. In fact, his dad was so upset that he turned his back. Couldn't look. But our Savior Jesus knew that his blood was enough. It was sufficient to pay the cost of our sins. That is unimaginable. We know that his ministry was all about his father's business. So we can't believe for one minute that this was Jesus' mission. This was his father's mission. And as a loving son, he clipped on his belt, grabbed his knapsack, and he went to do what he had to do for his father. The Bible tells us in John 3, verses 16 and 17. Thank you, Clayton. John 3, verses 16 and 17. We should never miss verse 17 because it's he's a beauty. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life or everlasting life. Verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it. I want to tell you that Satan's business on this earth is to make you feel like you're worthless and that you're condemned. But I want to tell you that every time Satan puts that idea into your head, he's teaching you rubbish. Because God the Father here said he did not send his son into this world to condemn it, but to 
save it. And the only way he could save it was through his son, Jesus Christ. It's incredible. I wasn't going to speak on the third point, but I just want to briefly touch on it. The message of Jesus is simple. He's here for the sick and for sinners. Simple. His commitment to us is unimaginable because he would be willing to sacrifice his own life for people that he loves, his friends. And the third truth is this, that our Jesus lives. Our Jesus is not dead in some tomb. Our Jesus is not bones. Our Jesus is alive and well and he is risen from the grave And this is the greatest of all truths. Growing up as a Seventh-day Adventist, I want to tell you, if you didn't grow up as a Seventh-day Adventist, you may not get this next point. But if you did grow up as a Seventh-day Adventist, I used to hear, boom, boom, boom. This is what Seventh-day Adventists believe. And it would be Free Andrew's message, it would be this, it would be that. But I want to tell you, the more and more that I read scriptures, the more and more that I realized that the greatest message that the disciples preached in the New Testament was this. Jesus is alive and he is resurrected from the grave. When you read through the scriptures, like one in every 25 verses will talk about the second coming. While that's an important theme, The reason it's an important theme is that Jesus is resurrected and he has gone to his father and he's coming back because he wants the greatest of reunions with his his people, you and I. That's why one in every 25 verses in the New Testament is about the second coming. It's not that we should be scared or worried or this or that. It's actually about the best of best reunions. But the greatest message that was preached wasn't about the second coming. The greatest message that was preached is that our Jesus is risen from the dead. He is no longer dead. He is alive. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7, in Christ we are set free by the blood of his death. And so we have forgiveness of sins because of God's rich grace. Romans 4.25, Jesus was handed over to die because of our sins. And he was raised from the dead to make us right with God. Romans 4.25. We think about the risen Savior, we need to have an action plan. We can't just leave it to going... Yep, I think he's risen from the grave. We actually need an action plan as human beings. If you got the chance, if you're willing to do this with me, I'd ask you just to close your eyes just for a minute. We're not going to pray. I just want you to close your eyes for a minute. And if you were to write just in your first paragraph a letter to Jesus, what would you want to say? Jesus, we're completely forgiven. 
we are killed. Not just partially, completely forgiven. In Jesus, we shouldn't be afraid to die. Because he's promised, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even though they die, will live again. John eleven twenty five. We can be completely forgiven in Jesus. We shouldn't be afraid of death. Jesus will never stop loving us. Jeremiah 31 and verse 3, God said, I have loved you with an everlasting love. This is a type of love that I I can't even explain to you. I, I can't write it down for you. But the scriptures tell us that our God and Jesus Christ has loved us with an everlasting love. That means it never gives up. It just keeps pouring. We also know that in Jesus, we have a purpose. And we were created for that purpose. The Bible tells us again in Jeremiah 29, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And the last thing about our Jesus is that there will be one day an eternal an eternal homecoming, which will be incredible. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9, Paul is trying to write about this to the church in Corinth, and he says this, No eye has ever seen, no ear has ever heard, no mind has ever imagined the wonderful things that God has prepared for those who love Him. That's our Jesus. Today, if we had time for testimonies, if we had time to actually truly look at all the aspects of Jesus, we would be here for hours and hours and hours and hours. Because today, I only shared like three tiny little bits about who Jesus is, like real tiny. But our Jesus is so much more. That day, as I turned off the telly, the footy, and I invited Cara to come in. She sat on the bed next to me and I said to her, Cara, I've been wrestling with God. I've been saying to him for way too long, no more. I don't want to hear about you, God. I'm happy to go and be involved with church, but I don't want to go back to being a pastor. I'm waiting for my police academy so I can go. But I turned to her and I said, Cara, no longer will I wrestle God on this matter. <laughs> I'm going to wrestle him on other matters. God wants us back in ministry. I rang up one of my mates who's been a long-term mentor, Andre Van Rensbeek. I think some of you will know him. Just a super-duper guy. And uh, he'd been my pastor. I'd actually worked with him for three years at Stringwood. And I said, Andre, I've got to catch up with you and Margaret. Cara and I just want to talk to you. And he goes, beauty, can we come now? And Dale and Andre in this story, because we were meant to go and have a tea with them on the Gold Coast. So we did. And Andre and Margaret came later. And I don't even know if you knew. We were probably so distracted uh, at that little meal we had with you guys. And he said, I'll come down in a couple of hours with Margaret because we want to talk to you about something. And as they walked into our door, uh, it just all spewed forth. 
<laughs> just all came out. And I said to Andre, I don't know why I've just been fighting this thing. Uh, I, I don't know why, but, but I do know that God wants us in ministry. <laughs> and he goes, that's good news. Because a week ago, we sat in at the conference office and we spoke to them about you coming back to Springwood to be our youth pastor. And uh, they, they, the conference were all right. They were thinking, well, maybe he's got a new career, like, and uh, blah, blah, blah. And they said, no, no, we don't want anyone else. Uh, we want Sean and, uh, and Cara to come back to Springwood as our youth pastors. And I was just sitting there listening to Andre thinking, a week before, I'd even given it the thought of saying, God, this is all about you and not about me. God had already sent them. That year, that year in South Queensland, we only had one pastor. That uh, There was a role for one pastor in South Queensland. I got it. Isn't it exciting how God works? Andre, uh, we can't find it because it's somewhere in the youth shed down there in boxes. We've got a tiny wee little cricket bat, and on there it says, we will go into that field. In our life, Jesus is always going to be the greatest person not to go into battle for you. He sometimes uses our friends and, and our mentors to actually remind us of the incredible love that our Jesus has for each one of us. Next day, I went into the conference office, had a chat with them, and they shook my hand. And they said, well, it'd be nice to have you in ministry, but we'll ring you tomorrow morning just to make it official. So the next morning, they rang up, and uh, Cara was at work nursing, and I picked up the phone. And the president said, Sean, we've got a job for you. Would you like to go to Springwood? <laughs> Imagine if I'd said no. I think lightning would have torn out of, out of the sky and killed me. And uh, I said, oh, that's awesome. That's so good. About half an hour later, I walked down to the letterbox. And I pulled out a letter. And I don't know what I ever did with that letter, but I wish I'd kept it. And it told me that I'd be starting in the police force in about three weeks' time. And I had the joy of ringing up the police force and saying, I'm really sorry, but I've got a new job. God turned up. I want to tell you, that is just a little picture of what Jesus does in our lives. He wants to turn up. So to wrap it up, Jesus' mission is simple. He's interested in sinners. That means for each one of us sitting or me standing, Jesus is all about us. He's 100% sold out in you and me. Jesus' sacrifice is unimaginable. But when he did it, he had you and me on his mind. And the third aspect about our Jesus is he's, no, he's not in the grave dead. He's resurrected. He's not only full of life, he's full on with life. He wants us to have that same life. Let's pray. God in heaven, uh, last week we spoke about the incredible stability of who you are. Our creative God, almighty, invisible, incredible. And this week, we've explored just very briefly about your son, Jesus Christ. We want to thank you for who he is. And for the incredible sacrifice that he made for us. We want to thank you that his message was simple enough that we as human beings today, we actually get it. 
And we also want to thank you that Jesus Christ is alive. And Lord, today I pray that we'll be challenged as we think about these words. We'll be challenged to know that we have a God who's all about creating the best identity that we can have in our lives. Whether we've accepted it or not, we are your children. You are our Father. And your Son, Jesus Christ, is your Father. I pray you be with us now, and this is my prayer. Amen.